Hello and welcome to the Salty Club podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Creeper, and I'm here today with my co-founders, MC and Erica. Welcome, girls. Hi. Hello. Hello. That was a sexy introduction. (laughs) Why, thank you. I turned on my best one, guys. Why, thank you. So today we are talking about buying land and building a home overseas. Yeah, there's a lot to get through. So for the sake of clarity, while we answer, Erica will go first, MC will go second, and I will go last for each question. Hopefully you get used to our accents as the podcasts go on. You can start to identify who's talking, but we'll do our best. <laughs> Sexy voice. Sexy voices. <laughs> so first, why don't we all say where we bought our spot, what country and town, and what year we started? Yes. Um, so I'm Erica. And uh, I bought Helloland. In 2018, and, and I built in Playa El Tunco in El Salvador. Yeah. Cool. Okay. MC? Hello, I'm MC. Uh, I bought actually, so I wasn't sure which year, but if you bought in 2018, maybe I guess mine was in 2019, so like four years ago, it makes sense. Um, actually, our land is, is two lands. Like my partner had uh, the one in front, and I bought the one in the back. So um, we have like, our house is built on two lands and we are in Montanita, Ecuador. Nice. And I am in El Paredon in Guatemala. So as you can see, we're kind of up and down the central and South yeah. American coast. And I built in 2020. Latin so in Latin America, exactly. And I built in 2020. So a year after UMC and two years after you, Erica, you were the first one. You were the one who started paving the way for us. Yeah, I was the craziest one. <laughs> That's it. (laughs) So now I'd love to talk about, let's start with you, Ari. How did you choose your spot? Mm, So, um, well, first, I guess the question is like, how do you fall in love with El Salvador? Like the the first step was, you know, finding a country that I really love enough to want to settle. And I always say that El Salvador is a country that kind of, I mean, definitely surprises you, but also grabs you from behind <laughs> in the sense that you don't really imagine that you're going to fall in love so much with this country. Sounds a bit sexy. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> Mama, it's, true. it's so true that you're saying that because I remember the first time we, we were in El Salvador, you were, you were like, ah, yeah. And the next thing you know, you, you were buying a land and. Yeah. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Like it took a uh-huh. few years, but I, it, I did not instantly fall in love with El Salvador. Exactly. I know. I know and I don't think that anyone really falls up instantly, maybe now more, but because it has developed a little bit more. And I will always say as a comparison that El Salvador doesn't come with a neon sign that says like, you're going to love me and you're going to want to move here. Like maybe Hawaii for me has this energy or Bali or Costa Rica or like places that we know a lot of people that fall in love with and want to settle. And El Salvador is just like 99% of people asking you like, where? <laughs> Where is that? Um, and um, at some point, like coming in and out of El Salvador, and as you know, this is our main destination or first destination for the Salty Souls experience. So I was spending a lot of time here and I would come and go. And every time my boarding pass was saying El Salvador, I was feeling butterfly again and feeling so excited until a point of getting so used to the place and friend with the with the local people and getting to know the a little bit what happens behind the curtains and getting more used to life here 
I couldn't see myself leaving. Like the thought of leaving and never coming back to this place was like absolutely heartbreaking. So I was like, wow, well, I guess maybe this is the place. And I was really scared about the idea of buying a land. Although a part of me was really craving the idea of having my own place. And I keep saying like, I just want a place where I can have my own coffee machine and a, and a board rack. <laughs> and here felt like the place. But at the same time, I was single and kind of still very free. And I was scared of this commitment, uh, thinking like, but what if afterwards I meet, I find another place and I get more excited about another place. What am I going to do? And one of my friends told me, and that was kind of like the turning point. She's like, Erica, it's just a land and it's just a house. If ever you don't love this place anymore, you can always sell it. And I was like, oh, it's true. And she also maybe said like, it's not a, it's not a child. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, and I was like, it's true. Like it's, we're, we're not trees and you can fall in love with a place and commit to this project and five, 10, whatever, three years down the line, decide that it's not the place. And you, people sell places all the time. So that gave me a little bit more confident about my choice. Uh, because it felt like a less big of a commitment suddenly. And and yeah, so and I decided to buy in this specific town because it is definitely El Tunco is the most developed beach town of the area. And I really love the waves there. And I, one of my criteria is that I wanted to be walk to surf. And I think it was all one of our criteria. Um, so I wanted to land inside the village. I didn't have to use my car to go around. I could walk to the beach. And so that was one of my main criteria while looking. And then I found this land that was basically the last, pretty much the last land available in this village. And it was walked to my favorite wave. It's called La Bocana. And so I was happy. And that's how I chose that spot. <laughs> I love it. And thanks yeah. for telling a little bit of backstory too. It's, you can really see your connection with El Sal like shining through. So Thank you for that. MC, how did you choose your spot? Oh, because it was next to next to your the land yeah, that your partner actually my, had. My story is less um, adventurous than Iris, I would say. <laughs> and I just want to come back to like the previous question because uh, I bought the land in 2019, but we've started building in August 2021. So just to answer properly the question. And yeah, my spot is uh, in Montanita, Ecuador. Um, basically, um, because my boyfriend is from here, so uh, it's his hometown. And then he, like I said, he had the land. Um, he already had the land, like from, like a, fa- it was a family land, and then it got to him. So it was not as if we were looking for a specific, like other spot. It was clear that it would be this one. And then, luckily, kind of like the stars aligned because in 2019, um, we asked if the land like behind it was on sale and actually it was and usually because a little thing that I want to mention here in Montanita most lands are communal lands so basically they are owned by the Comuna of Montanita and this is some maybe a concept that we're not super familiar because it doesn't really I guess apply in like Canada I guess maybe more like like it was something, it was a concept that was more like before, I guess. Um, but so, yeah, so the land, basically how it works is that the land is a communal land. It's, it's owned by the Comuna of Montanita. So usually people cannot sell it. But like, you know, we're in Latin America. So if there's money, there's possibility. <laughs> um, so like for this land, the husband of the lady who was the owner um, got sick and he unfortunately died. And she, they had four kids. Who actually needed money, so that's why they accepted to sell 
this land. So that was, I mean, that was unfortunate, but at the same time, it was, it was good for them because they got money. And then I was able to buy the land, like just behind um, my birch green land. So that would be like a bigger land. So this is, this is how we got um, the place. And then like, I really, like for me, that was always my dream of a little girl like, to have a property in front of the beach. And that was just perfect because it's like straight in front of the ocean. And we'll speak later what like <laughs> that it comes with some challenge, of course, to be like right in front of the ocean. But yeah, that was just like a little dream of mine for as long as I can remember. So this is, this is why we're in Montanita. <laughs> For me, I didn't have owning land on my radar at all. I think, yeah, it just wasn't really on my radar. And then the more I kind of talked to my partner about it, because he owns a co-owns a house in El Salvador as well. And he just started talking to me about how it kind of makes you feel to have a place that is yours. And I started to kind of warm up to the idea because up until that point, I was sort of like any big debt is a is like a, a club or right is like something that's holding you back something that's nailing you down and I was very like no like why would I want to enter a commitment like that and um so yeah it wasn't on my radar for a long time but El Paradon is a little beach town and it's a bit of a hidden gem in Guatemala not a lot of people actually know about it um but it's a beautiful beach break and the town is growing it's it's got its own vibe it's such a cool spot and I'd been going down there for years with my partner and there was a little house of my friend that we would we would rent and we would stay at. And it's three houses back from the beach. And across from this house was this big empty block. And we used to joke around and be like, oh, yeah, when we build our house then. And I know, like, you know, that kind of future dreaming that you do. Anyway, we completely forgot about it. The pandemic happened, so you couldn't go to the beach anyway. And then after like some months, because I wasn't going back to Australia to have my baby, we were there. Um, and after some months, a local told us that this big block of land, um, the owner was actually splitting it into three and selling it. And I just, something came over me and I just got obsessed. And I was like to Ugo, I'm like, this is the benefit of having a local partner. And the other thing is actually we got my partner, Ugo, who is Guatemalan, to do the phone calls and the negotiating because the truth is, if I was the one on the phone negotiating, chances are because I'm a foreigner things would have been more expensive or the prices would have been bumped up. So this was just a reality of it. My partner was called the owner and was like, we're interested in your property. But he said to me, he said, usually it's a no more than it's a yes. So like, don't get attached to this land. All we're doing is like starting the process of looking. And if it's not this one, eventually it will be another one. So he was kind of trying to like, like settle me down a little bit. Cause I was like, going to sleep thinking about this spot. I was became obsessed with it. And I was the one on his back, like, call again, call again. Like, let's meet up with the owner. Let's get in front of her. Let's like make this move. And it just completely overtook me. And suddenly it was like all I wanted in the world. And it's so crazy because we ended up meeting the owner, connecting with her. She was a lovely woman from the city. She was a grandma. We ended up going to her house and she like made us like traditional food. My son was playing with her grandkids. And then we shook hands on a number, but we didn't sign anything that day, but we shook hands and she said, okay, this is going to be a deal. I, I'm happy to sell it to you guys. Cause she wanted to be a bit intentional with who she was selling it to. She didn't want to just send anyone in that could kind of disrupt the neighborhood. So she was kind of intentionally picking people, but then she shook our hand. We didn't sign anything. And the next day someone offered her double for our land. 
And she called us and she's like, look, like I need to talk to you guys. Someone offered me double for the land. And we were like, oh, okay, we've lost it. But anyway, we like get to her house. We we talk to her again. And she's like, well, we shook hands. So I just want to let you know that it's still your home because we shook hands because we made that verbal agreement. So congratulations, it's your spot. And like, I'll never forget that because she, we didn't sign anything. She had no reason to be that loyal to us, you know? And it just kind of showed this really strong character thing. Like imagine being offered double the next day and not accepting it. Like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like actually I didn't know this part of the story. And I mean, that's surprising as well because <laughs> yeah, she really liked you. Oh. Well, also, I, I mean, people, we try. Here, some people here are just really loyal and the way of doing uh-huh. things is just yeah, different, no. you know? But I mean, for yeah. double, like she could have said, like, like, listen, like we need to speak. I need to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But also exactly. we and never get to, we never get to know if it's true. Yep. Well, that yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, but actually this spot during the pandemic, because so many people were coming down, it was her son, which was like taking a lot of the calls for interest. He had to change his number because of the amount of calls he was getting. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually believe it for this. just yeah. yeah. This particular spot, it received so many calls, so much interest. And actually one of our friends wanted to buy like the land behind us the next week. And it had already been sold. The one in front had been sold. And it was just like, mm. so I don't know. It's, it was, it was funny because but I, was I just feel, so... I also feel like here, well, like in Latin America, people are taking a lot of decisions from like their heart. Like if it's, if it's a grandma mm. and she really like you guys and like juggle your son, um, she was like, like okay, I want like those people to be living in kind yeah. of my place. So, yeah, we were like, bring in Jago. We got him all dressed up. <laughs> yeah, but I can understand. Like right now, if I would sell my place here, I would want to like the person. Like I wouldn't care if the, well, I guess, yeah, it would come to number as well. But at the same time, you've put like so much love and so much effort in into a place. Like if you are to sell it, like even if it's a land, I mean, like yeah. you love so much your place when you're going to sell it. You're like, okay, I want people to put as much love as I did. <laughs> exactly. So, because uh-huh, in a so big maybe. way, you're when you're selling, you're letting a dream go as well. Uh-huh, it's a part of I, you. Yeah. It's really exactly. a part of you that you're letting go. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true. So, and that was my first experience of like, oh, this is going to be more emotional than I thought. Mm-hmm. Like you guys know, I'm an emotional person. I literally live through my emotions but like yeah for me I was just like oh this isn't as simple as buy a land and build a house like there's a lot of relational things going on behind this a lot of like emotional things that come up so yeah it was it was really interesting and something you said and then Erie maybe you can you can speak about it because you you did like the whole process alone but like you mentioned that Hugo, your um, partner that is from Guatemala went to it because it probably would have been more expensive if you were going and I feel like it's a lot yeah. like I, I I do feel the same here there was a lot of negotiation that was made with Isra my partner because he's from here and every time I would speak it's kind of like I know it's going to be like more expensive and something as like little as like going to buy furniture there's a little town like 20 minutes away there's beautiful uh like end craft like decoration and I love to go there and so every time I would come back and say like, look what I found. I'm so happy. And like, people would ask me like, Isra's mom or like his family, like how much did you pay? And <laughs> it was of course always more expensive than what they would have paid. But at the same time, 
I'm like, well, I don't care. Like, like even if it's a little bit more, like they deserve it because they they like they work so hard on on like making those pieces. But like this is for small stuff. But then when we're talking on like bigger construction prices, then it did make sense that Israel was actually like doing the whole uh, negotiation and also. To be honest, because I have no fucking clue <laughs> of anything yeah. about that, so I'm curious to hear you, Ari, about like on that because you, man, I have so much respect for you because like this is hard, like dealing with, and I feel it's mostly men in the construction, and you're a woman from another country. Uh, like how how was your experience? Yeah. So <clears throat> first, I think it's important to mention that I'm the only one of us that, that went through a real estate agent. Yes. For buying my land so I guess I could have mentioned it earlier but um because I didn't know <laughs> how things work and also because I didn't feel like I had time to go around and look at all the places that are I have a little mm-hmm. sign that says for sale written on a on a tree <laughs> uh, <laughs> with like a number uh, that you can yeah with a number painted <laughs> I dealt I dealt with a real estate agent and I think this is a practice that like is definitely growing in the sense that in North America um I don't know about Australia but it's very common to go with a real estate agent here there's there's yes and no but now at least here there's definitely growing real estate agents and so I work with um this agent that I give him my criterias and he would take me to see a lot of spots and for me that was a very positive side of the process because I learned a lot about the different areas and the pros and cons of each areas, let's say, through him. For example, um, obviously here it's common to have gated communities. So we went to see houses in different gated communities and he would tell me like what is good and bad about each of them. And sometimes we would go see places and he would be like, mm, this place is definitely going to flood during the rainy mm-hmm. season. And that's what I was this, going to ask. This gated community is known to flood every year. So he would give me a lot of important tips on that. And then people obviously say like, oh, but if you are with a real estate agent, you pay more money. Yes. But also his advices and his help to the process as a value that I was willing to pay because by myself, I didn't, I needed his knowledge. So you pay for that and it only makes sense. And so he found the land for me and he was like, oh, I think I finally have the land for you, blah, blah, blah. And he also helped me go through all the paperwork. And so that was super helpful because, and I remember like so clearly when we signed the deed and we went to, I was buying from actually like an old couple from Guatemala. And we went to the city and they read the whole thing in Spanish, which... <laughs> I was understanding, but <laughs> definitely not a hundred percent. And we signed the thing, we shook hands, we took a picture, and I went back to my car and I started crying because I couldn't believe that I just signed a land by myself in a like in another country in my third language. And it <laughs> felt huge. <laughs> and it was yeah. Huge. And also, as we said earlier, like uh, in, at least in the three of us, I was the first one. And Actually, around me, I was one of the first one in general. Like, I didn't have a lot of people around me that already had done it. And I was like, ah, holy crap, like, I just did this. And this is crazy. And this is huge and wonderful. So after that, I decided to hire uh, a building company. And Carlos, his name, is my my builder. 
and architect and engineer. So he was the one dealing all the prices for me. He made me a proposal for the whole project that was kind of like turning key project, right? We we work on the design together and all the inclusions, but the price that was proposed was on the finished project. So in that deal, he include the prices he would be dealing for me. And I don't see how I could have done it any other way, personally, especially, yeah, like it was already like so much work and decisions, even having this turning key project that I would not have seen myself hiring the different groups of workers and dealing any materials for the fact that one, no knowledge and second, white chick out there. <laughs> um, uh-huh, exactly. That's what I, yeah. Yeah, you did the, uh, I think you did the right decision. It would, and if I was to do it again, I would do exactly the same. Yeah. I would yeah. not deal with the different pieces together. Maybe unless I'm with a local guy, like a local man that is willing to do the, the dealing of the of materials and managing the teams. But it's a fact that like as a foreigner and as a girl and uh, with someone that I have no knowledge in, in construction. You just need to hire someone that knows and then they're going to manage the thing for you. And then after that, for like what uh, everything that is inside the house and that is um, that is custom made because everything inside the house is custom made in terms of furniture and else. I work actually with a guy from Quebec that lives here and that works the wood. So I, I felt like with him, his prices were honest. Maybe his prices were a little higher because we were dealing like expat to expat. But the important is just that it felt good. And the, the point is that like, for sure, there is along the process things that I've paid more expensive than someone local would have. But I don't know. But at the same <laughs> time, it's ne- the time, and I never know. And it's fine. Like this is the price that was giving to me. And if that price to me felt honest, mm-hmm. that's all I need to know. But at the same After time, that, just like running, like to be taking care of the whole construction is a 24 7 like it's just so much time like literally this is well first like you said like like the knowledge because it's so different like building houses in Canada and and in like by the beach and then it's just it's just so much time consuming and I remember you were in there the whole process and I wasn't also there the whole process of construction but it's just like if someone that would that would do the whole process by himself Especially not being from the place, it's like get ready because this is not going to be easy. <laughs> it's already not easy when you have someone running it, but it's just there's so many things to think about, and it's just like it's a full time job, complete full time job. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. if you're willing and ready to take on this challenge, as if like I'm going to be fully invested in this project and it's going to be my full time project, go ahead. But if you know, in our case, like running two businesses at the same time, it was not possible, and. <laughs> It was not of my desire either. And it's interesting I, yeah. that we're even, we're even having this discussion because like, I know Katie, your process was different, but um, in Canada or like at least for where we're from, hiring a team to do the whole thing for you is absolutely normal. It's very normal to go to a real estate agent and then hire a, a building mm-hmm. company here for some reason. We're like, oh, like it's going to be so romantic. I'm going to, we're going to build our little mess at the beach. <laughs> No, like it's not it's not that romantic as a process and it's actually really a lot of work and it's good to have people that you can lean on and to know which yeah. material to use and how to actually do the things like I feel 
well, we're, I guess we're going to speak about that in a bit, but like it's true that there, there, there is less rule than in Canada, for example, or in the States, or I guess in Australia as well. Everything needs, it's so regulated here. Like if you have money, you can literally like do whatever mm. you want. But at the same time, you got to know like how to do things. The fact that by the beach, like the materials are really different and like the way of building is really different from what I saw, like how people are building in Canada. Even my my father built our own, like the house I've been living all my life um, in Canada. He literally like did the whole process. And when he came here, was he was so surprised of like how like the material and everything that they were using because it's just really different. So mm-hmm. like, even um, if things you have rust of- and ruin at the beach or warp or yeah, you have yeah, to be aware for is, like for extreme oh my God, weather and- next level. Uh huh. But it's it's different. Like in in Canada, we have like minus thirty in the winter, so the houses need to be like super isolated, and we like it's just really different. But even if you have like construction knowledge, my I guess my point is like even if you have like very high construction knowledge from like a certain place, it's really different. Yeah, it's different. Like the elements don't quit. Like you are up against the elements. <laughs> they want to eat your house. <laughs> there's extreme tropical weather. There's rust. There's sea. There's all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, as as the girls mentioned, my process was a little different because we didn't have a contractor and we went bit by bit. So it was different to Aries. Um, basically, I had my partner like contracting people. But, you know, when I mean contracting, I mean like who does doors? The guy down the street, Juan Carlos. Okay, Juan Carlos, do you do doors? Can you come to my house on Wednesday? Okay. It, there was no official contract anywhere. It was all verbal contracts and getting like help here and there. And that's the way that we kind of did it. We like found a team who did the concreting and the plumbing, and then we had to find an electrician. And then we had to find like all these things. And he, because he works he, during the week, he's a lawyer. He, he like, lives far away during the week. I was staying close by and like driving there every day, but I didn't know what the fuck I was looking at. It was more just to put like the presencia, like to, to, to look as though I'm looking and I would be taking pictures and sending it to Ugo and being like, does that look right? Cause I don't know what I meant to be looking <laughs> at, like, but I would just have my serious face on. Like I was, you know, like investigating everything, making sure it all looked good. I wouldn't have known if the house was being built sideways. I was just like, yeah, okay. This seems right. Um, but yeah, our process was really just, um, contracting, contracting in little quotation marks bit Mm -hmm. by bit. And we, the first piece of advice I would give, and this is the advice that we got is like, for whatever you think your budget is, you got to include another, add another, at least like 40% on top of that. And that's at least because we ran out of money so quickly. Like it is crazy how quickly our walls went up, every, our roofs, everything was installed. But then we had to find someone to put in the windows and that was an extra $5,000. And then we had to like hook up the electricity and then we had to do all these things bit by bit. So we actually had to stall the program. And yes, as Erica was saying in Australia, it's completely different. Like you find a real estate agent, they find your home or they find your land. And then you go with a contractor to build your home and they hand you over the key once it's done. Um, but this, we were doing completely kind of on our own bit by bit. And we ran out of money so quickly that it got to the point where we'd borrowed as much as we could. We didn't want to borrow anymore. So each month it was like, okay, this month we can afford to put doors on this month. We can afford to do this. So even though we started off like running and seeing these houses go up so quickly, it took us at least another year to actually get it to a point where we could, we were finished 
where it was livable. And then even more, it took more months to buy basic furniture to be able to rent it out because it was just, I think we might not have even started if we would have known the full cost. And I'm glad we did, Mm. but we had a solid two years of having like no spare money. Like just, we just made sure our kid was okay. We made sure everything else went into the house. Me and Ugo didn't buy new clothes for two years, basically. And I remember because Ugo has to wear like a dress suit to work. His belt was fraying. His like shoes were talking. They were like flapping and everything. And his mom was like, Ugo, you cannot go to the office like this. Like, <laughs> this is so shameful. And, and I think that's something we will tap on next is the money element of it is because of course we share like what we have, but you rarely see the sacrifice people are making Mm. on the other side. We didn't go on holidays. We didn't go on nice dinners. We barely saw our friends. If our friends wanted to see us, they literally just had to bring some beers and sit on our like slab of concrete and (laughs) hang with us because we were so engrossed in this project. So we had no work-life balance. We were just like going for it every single weekend. People would be like, what are you doing this weekend? We're like, where do you think we're going to be? If you so it was, we kind of sacrificed a lot for a few years having nothing. And the girls know because when, when I spent a weekend with Ari and MC after we'd been doing this project for a few years, I'd had no money and they like gifted me a new bikini and I hadn't had anything new for so long that I started crying. I just like burst into tears and I'm like, this fabric feels so nice and no one's worn it. Like it's not secondhand. It was just like, it was so funny. And it was again, this thing of the emotional side and yeah, but basically back to how we were doing it, we were doing it step-by-step Another thing I wanted to mention and was was really interesting to me is because we were doing a lot of it by word of mouth, by negotiation, by like building relationships, how we communicated with the people working for us was so important. And because my Spanish is good, but it's not native, there are so many little subtleties of communicating and negotiating with someone. And I feel like in this culture and probably all cultures in different ways, you can be like rude without knowing it, or you can be like, I feel like maybe in Australia, if you're doing this exchange, maybe it's like, and I just, I just ended up wanting Ugo to do most of the communication because he knew the way to communicate in a way that was like assertive and getting stuff done and getting questions answered without pushing too far that these people were like, okay, well, fuck you. You know, like for me, that was such a delicate balance because I feel like for me, I almost made up for like what I lacked in Spanish with kind of letting things slide and being like, okay, that's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, oh, you're not coming to do the electric today. Oh, you're not coming this week. Oh, you're not coming this month. Oh, okay. Like, whereas I had to kind of get that help from Ugo to be almost my like native communicator to like relate properly and get things done. Does that make sense? Well, the next question a lot of people are asking is the money issue. A lot of people are saying, how can you have these castles on the beach. You're in your thirties. How did you afford your own home? Like in Canada and Australia, people can be paying off their home for about 30 years. So I think it's important to the, to the point at which you girls are comfortable to talk about the money aspect. Um, and people are asking, how did you loan? Did you loan from the country? Did you loan from Canada? Did you have to take a loan? So if each of you want to talk about like the financials to the point at which you're comfortable, I think that will be really helpful for some people. Yes. So I think it, this is one of the biggest challenge of buying and building overseas is that most likely you won't be able to get financing um, for two reasons. One, because Canada, in my 
case. I mean, most countries won't loan you money to buy or build overseas. The reason being simple, they won't be able to seize the property if ever you wouldn't be paying back your mortgage. So they're just not going to lend you money. And couldn't get a loan here in El Salvador either because I'm not a resident. Even if I was a resident, the interest rates are outrageous. It's If in Canada, we think that right now mortgage being 5% is a lot, here we're talking like 20%. So it's kind of crazy. That wasn't an option. I had already saved up the money to buy the land. Um, my land was 40000 US. So that I paid myself. And then for the building process, you have to pay uh, in different stages throughout the process to the contractor. My dad was my private investor. So I had a deal with him. He, he loaned me the money for the building process. And then I've been paying him back since. So that was a private investor in my case. Okay, MC? Well, like on my side, um, well, as I mentioned before, the land of my partner it was already like it was a family land. So he didn't need to pay for that. It was already years. And then the land, I bought it cash, actually. <laughs> like because the person I bought it to um, didn't have a bank account, which is something really normal here. Like some people, you know, like this is how they live. They don't have bank account. So the land I bought was 25000 And the only way they could receive it was cash. So I literally was going to the ATM every day until oh I got to 25000 Yeah, it was so scary because <laughs> like at that time, and I'm good, like that's also going to explain like how I managed to like pay the house. Um, we were living in a little like big shack of like the father of uh, my boyfriend owns a land also in Montanita and like my partner has a little cabana, which it's really rustic. If you've seen it, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so um, at one point I had those $25,000 like hitting everywhere in that little beach house. And I was like, beach shack, it's not a house, but, and then I was just like, if, if this thing burns, like all my money burns or like, I was just worried. I oh was just God. like, I want to I give that money. Like, I, I just don't want to have that money anymore in my, in my place. So this is uh, what happened with the land. And truly, uh, the, I had the money because like I've been saving for this, I guess, all my life. That was all, like I've mentioned before, that was always kind of like my one of my dreams. So I've always been saving like, money for that. And also I've been traveling, I would say, since my early 20s. And truly, I was always super conscious of like places I would stay and we we've been traveling like really cheap like the places I, I stayed <laughs> I would not go back that's for sure so I guess like it was always like I was saving money and uh, like literally I managed to save a lot and also one important thing for us was that my parents did buy like one unit of the house um just to put in context like this this place that we have, we like this is also where we do uh, the Salty Souls retreat in Ecuador. So it's it has like four rooms downstairs, and then upstairs we have our apartment that is a two bedroom, and then we have another like unit that has also two bedroom. And my parents bought this one, so it gives us like a like an extra like cash down for this that was really really helpful. So um, luckily for us, we've been managing to you know, like have all the money for the construction, but we wouldn't have been able to do it without 
my parents buying like one unit. Before we were talking to my parents about that, we were actually like considering, okay, should we should we sell one of the unit already so we have like extra cash? Because as Iri mentioned, this is not possible to to borrow from Canada because it's overseas and even like for for well, I'm not a resident of Ecuador yet. And then even for Israel to uh, borrow here, the interest is so high. It's the same as El Salvador. So that wasn't even like an option. Um, so yeah, so this is how we managed to to have the money, but. I guess also living in Latin America for the past 10 years, I've been able to save way more money than if I live in Canada. <laughs> so that was also mm. something important for me. Like the cost, my cost of living since I kind of left Canada, I would say, uh, has been like super low. Like every time I go back to Canada, I'm like, oh my God, like this is so expensive. Like I spent so much money. So I guess for me, that was like how I've been able to save money, just like having no clothes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's just a, it's just the reality of it but also again like it's different for everyone like there's way of traveling like i guess like if i always stayed in like fancier like fancy places or not necessarily fancy places but uh, like literally we stayed in like shit all sometimes <laughs> and just like because we we wanted to surf and but you like it's, this is the reality and like there's places there's i know like some of my friends were like I would never like stay there. There was like cockroach and like spiders. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. But like I, so this makes a big difference of like how you save money. For me with the money situation, I definitely didn't have any money saved. I wasn't really a saver before. And then we had Jago and we had paying for the birth because I had him in Guatemala. So the whole birth came out of pocket and obviously just all the costs of raising a baby. And just the fact that I'm not the most responsible person with money anyway. I don't buy a lot of things, but I definitely buy ease. <laughs> like if things are easier, I guess I put money on that, for example, ordering my groceries and and things like that. So if you go down to the market, things are cheaper. If you go to the grocery store, things are more expensive, but it's more convenient because it's just all in one spot. So little things like that. I didn't have any savings. I borrowed, I think it was 10 grand off the company. Was it 10 grand MC? Uh, I think it was six actually. Six. Oh, okay. I borrowed six grand off the company because our land was about 52,000 US. And a few years before that, it had been sold for way less. But 52,000? Yeah, 52,000 US. It was quite expensive by Mm -hmm. standards. A few years before that, it was way cheaper. Obviously, Ugo remembers going down to that town and surfing and they were selling lands for (laughs) 2,000. But but even now they're more expensive still. So it was quite a bit. But it is and big then, too. Yours is, now we're seeing the prices without seeing the size of our land. But yes, yours mine is, is definitely bigger than ours. How many square meters do you know? Uh, 34 by 33. So what's that? Meters? Yeah. 30, okay, well, mine is 20 by 25, which is about 20 by 25 meters. meters. Yeah. Yeah. Yours, MC? I'm, I'm uh, 15. So it's not super wide, 15 by 26. So it's not super big, I guess. But this is... Wow. The thing is that because we are beachfront, the whole part of the beach that is not... It's to the marine, basically. But everyone that... If you take care of that place, of like the beach in front of your property, you can use it. You couldn't build. Like I couldn't build uh, rooms or a pool there, but... If you have, like us, we have a yoga deck, we have hammocks, we have palm trees, but you cannot use it as a construction, but it's still part of your backyard. 
Mm-hmm. So it's this more or less the same size as our lens. So it's, let's say construction wise, we have 15 per 26 and then as backyard, I would say another 15 by 26. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So mine is yeah. 34 by 33. It's kind of a square. Um, so yeah, it's quite big. And I don't think I really realized until we had it. And at that point it was used for growing Rosa de Jamaica hibiscus some people say so there was just these giant and because it had just been rainy season where everything grows it was just full it was full of plants these two meter tall brazilian jamaica plants and then those they're actually called creepers those plants that go over the top and creep over everything you know that strangle the plants so we started Mm -hmm. with machetes me and ugo cutting them down (laughs) like we're going to do this by ourselves, cutting things with the machetes. I learned a lot about the machete in that time. Um, We got about a quarter of the way through and then we said, fuck this, we're getting a tractor. We need a tractor to clear this for us. Um, But yeah, so I took a loan off the company. I also took a loan from my dad. My dad doesn't have a lot of money. He just sold a house of his. So he had that money sitting there. So I took the opportunity to say, hey, (laughs) Um, I borrowed I think I borrowed about 30,000 of him, something like that. And then Ugo, he borrowed his half. We're 50-50. We own it half-half um, in the contract on paper. He borrowed his money from the bank because he could and from his dad as well. So we had our money coming in from about five different places. And as well, because we were only building two rooms. And then, as I said, we were building as we go. And that's just the cost of the land. And then it cost about another 40 grand to build. Basically our third room that we added on. Yeah, this was before. Yeah, this was, well, this, when I say construction, I mean the concrete and the plumbing. This is the installation of, um, no, not the rancho, not electricity, not the doors, not, yeah, any of that. So um, we had two rooms that were planned. One was a bigger house, one was a, single story house our builder said to us look are you going to put a roof on this smaller one or are you going to put a second level I can't just leave a flat roof because in the winter that will leak that will drain everywhere and so I spoke to my dad and I said we're not sure whether to add another room right now on top and then he said look because each of us kids of my dad's kids and my mom's kids get a little amount of money for getting married just to go towards the wedding, 5,000, something like that. And dad said, are you and Ugo ever planning on getting married? And I said, we're not getting married. <laughs> we both yeah. know we're not getting married, at least not now, but it's really not in the cards for us. And he said, look, how about I give you your wedding money to build another room? So we got a gift of that money. And that day we decided to add a second level. We literally walked around with the with the builder and said, put a wall here, here, and here. The bathroom will be here. The the door will be here and the windows will be here. It was about a half an hour conversation. And that was the quickest we've ever planned any room being built. It took about half an hour to get that room decided on and planned basically. But so yeah, we didn't have the money up front. I'm still paying it off. Ugo's still paying it off. We definitely aren't rich. We definitely aren't. Do you know what, like in Guatemala, are the interest rates super high? I think they're 12, but I'm not sure what they are for expats. I do Mm -hmm. have residency, but I think Ugo's paying 12 on his. Still really high, yeah. Really high, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, And my dad gave me an interest rate too because he had to. Oh, really? 
Because, yeah, because he said, this is quite a bit of money. So, mm-hmm. and I said, okay, I'd rather it go to you mm-hmm. uh, than go to a bank. But, but yeah. Interrupting this podcast with a quick ad before we get right back into it. Optimize your wellness with the Salty Club, at-home training, yoga, nutrition, and empowerment. After years of running transformative travel experiences with Salty Souls Experience, we started to realize how deeply training, yoga, nutrition, and empowerment complement each other. The fact is, when a woman invites these four things into her life, she slowly becomes a force to be reckoned with. And now with the Salty Club, it's never been more accessible right from your very own home. The Salty Club's mission is to make it easy for you to sharpen your body, mind and soul from anywhere in the world, 365 days a year. And you can grab your seven day free trial by hitting your browser and typing in thesalty.club and it will take you where you need to go. That's T-H-E-S-A-L-T-Y dot C-L-U-B, thesalty.club, where you'll find Gina is also a trainer there as well. So check it out, grab your free trial and we'll see you there. Now back to the podcast. So basically, thanks to our parents. <laughs> Thank you, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. But it's true that for me, it was them telling me, okay, um, it's your legacy in, in advance. Is that how we say that? Legacy? You know, your inheritance. Her- yeah. yeah. You're having it a little earlier when you actually need it. Because like mm-hmm. for them, when their parents passed away, they were in their 60 already and they have their house, they have everything sorted out. So it's it's not the moment necessarily that they needed money and they were thinking that it's actually in their 30s that they would have needed it so for them it was the way of saying okay so it's it's a little bit in advance but to help you out so like as you can see for the three of us the money was thanks to our parents (laughs) yeah Yeah, i had a similar discussion with my with my dad as well the fact that you know it's it's a weird conversation to have but the fact that eventually I would probably inherit some mm-hmm. some money and it is just a truth that we need this money more than ever in our 30s than in our 60s with with a lot of luck they only pass away in in 30 years from now in my 60s I hope I would already have made my fortune yeah <laughs> but in your 30s like giving your your child some money it's really like a launching pad mm-hmm. in real estate and I'm very grateful that they were able to do that and it's definitely a game changer because once you you've made your first investment and you have written on your on that investment whether with Airbnb or reselling that property eventually then you have money for your second and third property but you need this first this first loan and even if it's weird to have this conversation about like their future debt is just a fact that eventually this is going to happen you know but um yeah grateful Mm, for the help interesting yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's true. It's it's always hard when money involves family. I'm eager to pay it off as soon as possible. I feel like, of course, they want to help us. And of course, that's great. But I'd also like not have to owe money to my dad. I just like. Mm-hmm. It's really different with everyone, truly. And like not everyone has the this this opportunity. So I guess, um, but the point, here is more the fact that um, it's true that it's when you buy your first property that you do need the more money that maybe like later in your life when you're already set. So that was the point for for me, let's say. But at the same time, it's so tricky. And, and you feel like you're 
you you want to show it to your parents and be like okay so I'm using the money in a wise way you know so <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah so yeah, exactly. you, you kind of feel like you owe something and but yeah I guess that was really like for us it was really really helpful and then there's the whole thing and maybe for you Katie is the same thing and I'm not going to go deep into that because there is no need but just the fact that it's 50-50 with my partner and the money that my parents landed it was mine but then overall it got split in the whole thing so we did a little like um homemade contract just to protect like my parents money let's say um which would go to me in the case that we would separate or sell the house mm-hmm. so um i guess my point here is to say that you do need to make legal contracts and did you do one with hugo katie yeah Not yeah. even with okay. Ugo, we did it with Okret, which is the the institution that deals with the land ownership. So it's not a contract with him; it's a contract with Guate. So, like under in Guatemala, I own half the land. Okay, yeah. perfect. So that's that's something important. That was super important for both of us, just because yeah. you never know what can like. Of course, like you're building a like a big project with a, technically the love of your life. You think. But you never know what can happen. So for me and for both of us, it was super important that everything was written down and signed by a lawyer and also like mostly for my parents as well. They wanted to make sure that the money that they lent us was going to me in the case that we would end up selling the house or separating. So yeah, like, hope for the I best, but say, plan for the worst. Exactly. Like protect, <laughs> protect your, just, just to make sure that there's no... That it's really clear like so we did we did take quite some time with a lawyer to specify everything like all the like what would happen in the case that there would be a separation and now that we have a kid what would happen and everything so i think that's really important to take the time like we i did hear some i would say horror story maybe horror is a bit too big yeah. as a word but you, mm-hmm. you you need to protect yourself to avoid those kind of not cool situations Well, I say you're totally right because, of course, um, MC and I are talking about uh, using our boyfriends like a local to kind of help us pave the way. But that's it. If you are listening to this and you're thinking of buying with a partner, even though we have said it is easier for your partner to do some things like the contracting or it is worth it to make sure that you own either all of it or half of it and not just that word of mouth or verbal contract. That's it. Even though it can be harder dealing with the residency aspect, how, what can you legally own? You have to take the time to make sure your name's on that paper because that's it. We be cautiously optimistic with our relationships, but we just, we literally never know where life's going to take us. And we never know who will be if we separate, you know, it's all good to want the best for the other person when you're in love with them, but you just never know. So thank you for bringing that up. I think that's really important that even if you have the help of a, a local partner, And even if it is is a lot more paperwork to make sure your name is on that land, you have to make sure there is It is more money as well. You. Like it is more yes. money as well. Like we did think about that. Ah, do we want an extra like a couple of thousand on, on like all the legal paperwork? But at the end, I was, I felt like it was necessary. And especially that my parents were done money, it was part of like the expenses just to make sure that everything was extra, extra clear. But this is not, Just in Latin America, this is in everything. Like even work-wise, we do have some contracts and everything is as clear as possible. Of course, you cannot plan every scenario, but I would say that the legal part is super important to have everything written down. <laughs> mm-hmm, definitely. What were you going to say, Ari? 
I even did a little homemade contract with my my dad actually because he's my legal uh, loaner and he brought to my attention he's like if you pass away <laughs> then mm-hmm. how am I going to get my hands on this house that is mm-hmm. on the, this other country so there is I like I don't have a testament yet but I have one <laughs> just for the house so that legally if I die it is known in El Salvador that my dad is the, the second legal owner of the house so he could manage the sale of the house if I was gone and I think that's important mm-hmm. that yeah. is really smart actually yeah yeah we did the, in our contract we have everything like if Isra dies what's gonna happen if I pass away blah, blah. So everything is is written down and it took a, it took us some time to like put all those scenario but i at least if the situation happens with i'm lucky and wood it's not gonna happen but we know what would be the output mm-hmm. um did you guys need residency in your countries to buy your land all right so that's a, re- a question we get a lot about residency and about the rights we we have to lands here so in el salvador you don't have to be a resident to buy a land and you can be fully owner so I have the same rights as the local people. I don't need um, a local partner and I don't need residency. So just as a tourist, you can be fully owner of your land. Nice. Yes, I'm here. I'm not a resident yet of Ecuador and I'm fully owner of the, the place. That was pretty easy on that part. I know some countries... You do need a sponsor, like a local sponsor to get a land. Um, but here, not in Ecuador. Easy breezy. Nice. Um, I am a resident because I have a Guatemalan kid. So I went through the residency process. Um, so I believe you do. I think in El Salvador is different to Guatemala. I remember that. I think you do in Guatemala. I should have checked that. Um, but the other thing to note is that we don't own the land. It is the countries, And we just buy the rights to build and live on it. Ah. Ah, mm-hmm. okay yeah i think that's similar in other parts of mexico some people were saying yeah there's some yeah, parts yeah, of Mex- yeah. this is exactly mm-hmm. in mexico what what's happening but yeah. so let's say you would sell your house how does it work if i sell my house we have to get permission so this is where it's, we were in a really tent spot amongst all the other tent spots is that we had to give <laughs> the <laughs> we had to give the land back to the government and then it had to be given back to us. It doesn't transfer from the previous owner to us. It has to go back through a credit and then come back with our names on it. And this process took a year and it was so long that literally our land was just hanging in the balance. It had been like liberated from the previous owner and hadn't yet been given to us. We'd already started building. It was already our home. And we were just hoping for the best because as we know, there's corruption everywhere, but the corruption in Latin America is really its own particular special flavor. So yeah, we just had our land hanging in the balance for a year and we were just praying that it was going to come back to us and it could have gone the wrong way, but it didn't. So now it's in our name. And in 30 years, we will have to get permission basically, even though we own it, we won't have to pay for like, we haven't paid for 30 years here, but we will have to continue our permission in 30 years but we won't have to pay for it again. Does that make sense? We'll just be paying a tax or something. Okay. But if, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And okay. so the lady we yeah. bought it off had had six years left. And first we were like, okay, why don't we just um, keep it in your name? And then we'll just write out those six years. But we were both like, actually, anything could go wrong with this. But we we trusted each other more than we trusted the government because you just don't trust the government. But yeah, that was that was a massive risk, handing it back and just hoping it was going to come back with our names on it. And it did. I think there's a there's a lot of countries that it's like this. I know Mexico, I think it's like this. Yeah. It's in a lot of protected land as well, I think, in a mm-hmm. lot of places where it's protected land. And yeah, for example, we have that thing where I think you can build ranchos on the beach, but if you try creep out and build, um, let's say if you wanted to put the chairs of your restaurant out the front on the beach and stuff like that, then no, you wouldn't be able to. It's kind of ambiguous but that was a big reason we at first weren't going to buy there because we said no let's buy where we know it's ours but the positives outweigh the negatives and it's our land you know it's just the paperwork (laughs) we'll see in 30 years (laughs) where we are yeah i know katie you're supposed you're the one asking question but i do have a question was there any regulation for construction for you guys yes you have to have a building permit which we didn't get so we just started building and then someone came and left a letter for us which said uh you have to stop building in the next five days or we're shutting down the whole the whole process we kept building because we had our workers there we had everything set up and we had to get on there's a river that separates our town to the next town and you have to catch like a little raft to get to the next town or a little boat it's called supercate yeah so that's That's where the yeah that's where the (laughs) the office is for this kind of stuff. So we got frozen, but we kept going, but we just went down and I let her go do all the talking and then we got the permission finally. But yeah, you you absolutely have to, but we but, didn't until we did. <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. But also is there, I guess, um, I meant also for the plan, is there a limitation like, oh, you cannot build more than three stories or... Uh, it needs like to have that. this certain look or something like this. Okay. For example, like what you're talking about in Antigua, because Antigua is a town, it's about two hours out of El Paradon. It's a world heritage site. It's got that colonial town. You mm-hmm, can only yeah. build a house two levels high and it has to have the colonial style out the front. If you've got a business, you cannot have signs poking out in the street like, and you can't paint the front of your house with a crazy design. It has to be the colonial colors. It's really tightly regulated. Um, the beach, there are regulations. Again, no one follows them. People are putting in four-story buildings. People okay. are putting in all these kinds of things. And it's pretty much the same thing. But I think the mentality in building in this town is it's better to say sorry than ask for permission. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just, <laughs> yeah. So each year the buildings get taller and taller. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's a bit hazy, the permission there, mm-hmm. the regulation. How is it for you? Uh, here in Ecuador, yeah, that, that basically the same day. Are try I know they are trying hard to regulate it, but at the same time, if you have money and you want to build a five-story building, they're not mm-hmm. going to say anything, you know. If the way it works here is, as I said, like it's the comuna of uh, Mantellita, so most of the land are communal, and you do need to have, um, there's a part of the money of the land that goes to the comuna, and then you need to have the permission to build from the comuna. Okay. Then technically... You couldn't build something more than three stories, but then there's people building super high and when where's their money? They just approve 
they just approve it. I think us in the neighborhood that we are, um, we are working really hard to, you know, between us, make sure that the construction are not super high and that it stays a, a residential area. So if someone would come and say, I'm building like a super high building, we would go to them and say, hey, like this is a residential area. Like, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it wouldn't work all the time, but so far so good. Uh, we are managing to have more like small houses and super quiet areas. So hopefully That's it stays like this. But truly, there is not much regulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is it regulated in El Tunco in El Salvador, Ari, along the coast? I feel like there isn't much regulation, to be fair. Mm-hmm. We needed a building permit in the municipality of Tamanique, where we are. But I know that like the municipality next to us, to get your permit, you can literally come with like a handmade drawing and be That's like... That's what we did! <laughs> this is yeah like it's mind-blowing like you need to show them what you're going to be building but it can be really like hand-drawn but mm-hmm. is it this is in Chultupan but here in Tamaniki you needed like a, a real plan but again I feel like for me this process was seamless just because it was taken care of by the contractors mm-hmm. nice how long did the whole process take from buying the land to the buildings being finished I bought the land in um in 2018, uh, May, and then really started to get active with the process of design and speaking with the architect in the following November, I think. And we broke ground in April 2019, and we were completely done in January 2020. So it took like, let's say like from design to finished product, it took about a year. But it could have been shorter, I believe, but I was gone for a good four months of the building process in the beginning, where they're just building like the foundation, um, the part where I felt or I was told I didn't really need to be here, which is true because with my absence of knowledge in building, like what am I going to say about the foundation? But it did slow down the process a little bit, the fact that I wasn't there to oversee. <laughs> Let's say the I felt like, Time was a little bit more elastic. The, <laughs> I like, I like. <laughs> but then, um, yeah, and then when I was there, it definitely accelerated. Yeah, but in, in any case, you know, like one year for a two-bedroom house in a pool, it's a question of perception if that was long or not. I think it was long. <laughs> but also, yeah, if I was there, it would have been quicker. But also, like, whatever time they tell you it's going to take, double it up. Mm-hmm. And that's another, like, golden nugget. Mm-hmm. And I had this conversation with my contractor at some point because I, towards the end, I was very frustrated because it took definitely more time than it was. Like, towards the end, when he told me there was one more one month left, in fact, it was three months left. And it was frustrating because I was making my plans where I was staying meanwhile according to the fact that in a month time, I'll be able to move in, but it was never true. And so at one point I was like, can you just be honest? How much yeah. is this really going to yeah. take? Like stop bullshitting to me. Just tell me the freaking truth and add this tone because this is how annoyed I was at that moment. Mm. Um, I, so remember, I, I remember that time you were, you were so, I, I was there when you were getting towards yeah, the end and it was you were really frustrated and it's true you're like you're you're expecting your house to be ready and making plans 
around it. It is, oh, well, we need one more week. We need another week. And like, no. Yeah, you like, actually tell me, like, if it's going to take three months, I need to know. So then I can make plans according to that. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not like a bad answer to tell me three months. I'll be annoyed, like, on the moment thinking, like, shit, it's still going to take a lot of time. But then I'll flow with it. But now it was mm-hmm. super hard to flow because it, they kept lying to me. Um, it's really interesting is that when one time, like I got really, you know, close with my contractor, like close in the sense that we have a really good relationship. And at some point I was like, dude, you should be more transparent about the real length of a project so that people can plan accordingly. And I think that as I always say, like clarity is kindness. And for me, it was like unkind. I just kept feeling wrong duration. And he was like, look, I'm going to tell you what's the truth is that when at the beginning you're looking uh, with many contractors, and that's true, I went to see two or three different contractors at first, everybody's going to lie about how much time this is going to take. And if I'm the only one who says the truth, I'm probably not going to get the contract because the client at first is like, oh, well, I'm not going to go with this contractor. It's going to take way too much time. So in the beginning, we kind of all have to lie about (laughs) the, the full length because that's <laughs> how the game is. So we need to like be able to kind of match what the other liars are saying, basically. And I was like, ah, okay, that makes sense. But now that we have already signed and we're in it and we're already six months in, can you start being real? <laughs> but yeah. But do you think the same in Canada or it's really specific to Latin America? Do you think that construction also takes way more time in other... Oh my God. Like All my first world countries say... No, I think it's even worse the in same. first world countries. Yeah, it's the it's same worse. in Canada. Okay, yeah. Cool. Okay, so it's not... Okay, yeah. I, I don't really... Like I've never done any construction project there and I have a lot of friends that did, but I didn't ask them. Um, mm-hmm. So actually it's a worthwhile thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <have> more delay. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, I feel like the, family... even the, the, the thing about the the contractor saying wrong, you know, duration. I feel like it 100 applies to developed countries as well. When you yeah, go, okay. like you want to build, you're gonna go with different contractors. You're gonna, you know, different proposal. They all gonna bullshit you mm-hmm. on duration only to get the contract. Yep. Okay. Agreed. I remember when the yoga deck wasn't getting finished and the retreat was. <laughs> <laughs> it is stress there but also yeah 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 okay so i yeah we had our salty retreat starting uh, literally at like 11 a.m let's say the first guests were arriving and it was 10 30 and they were still putting some stuff on, on the yoga day and it was a bit stressful but at the same time i knew it was going to happen but at the end it was everything like all good it was just a little like extra stress but at the same time we could have done the yoga day before it's just always waiting to the last minute <laughs> but for me well, yeah it was in 2019 uh, we started the thing is that we did the plan so many times like for us that was something that took a lot of time we also worked with an architect um, and at the beginning we weren't sure of the design we did and redid it so much time because the thing is that I wanted it to be um, able to host retreats, but at the same time, rent it on Airbnb when there is no retreat. So there was a, a few things to take in consideration. And the other reason why it took us so much, not so much time, but a lot of time before cons- starting the construction was we weren't ready to fully commit to it, I guess. 
So yeah, so we started the construction in August 2021. But just like Erie, we were in there, the whole, like a big part of the construction because in the meantime, I was in Canada giving birth. <laughs> and I spent the first few months, the last few months of my pregnancy and the first few months of the, my baby uh, in Canada. Uh, and my partner was coming to Canada in between Ecuador and Canada. So just basically like everything that Eri says, it's the same for us when you're not there, even if you have, we had the architect that was running the construction that was taking care of She was coming here every day, but at the same time, it's never going as fast as when you are physically here. So when we did come back to Ecuador in January, my partner was there pretty much every day and I did go faster. So basically we started in August, 2021. And let's say we we were able to move in in June, 2022, but it wasn't finished. And then we started renting it by new year this year. So let's say January, 2023. So one year and a half before we were able to rent it. Mm-hmm. I remember you didn't have um curtains, right, or something like that. Something about the windows. Didn't you have? Didn't you have? The oh windows my god, the windows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the curtains. Of course, like we had plastic bags, like trash bags, like the black, the black bags, and in the windows for a while. Uh, something also important to mention is that there is not much material accessible, like close by. Like for us, going to the city is a three-hour drive where they sell like the main materials let's say like if we want to choose the floor or everything it's not super close so even buying curtains is not that accessible <laughs> anyway I literally like the fun fact is that I end up buying all my curtains blackout curtains from Canada from Amazon in Canada and I brought them imagine we have seven rooms of blackout curtains and how heavy is blackout curtains my <laughs> suitcase was so heavy and <laughs> Uh, I brought yeah, I brought so many things from back home. But yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, when we moved in, we had nothing. We were sleeping on the floor, well, in the in the mattress on the floor. But it took it took us a while before having everything ready. Like I said, one year and a half of construction, which I think is good for the mm-hmm. the size of the place. And of course, like I'm saying that, but there's still so many things that I want to add and fix. And I feel also by the time you you add something, another thing is breaking and and you need to fix Mm -hmm. it so it's constantly there is maintenance we have a maintenance guy that is coming here six days a week so basically all like full time and thank god for him like i wouldn't be able like we wouldn't be able to manage this without him (laughs) it's just constant maintenance everything so yeah yeah i mean it's a really big spot for me it was I think it was two and a half years because it just like I said we kept stopping and starting and just moving forward when we had money again and a lot of the things we did were around town so we restored some old doors that Ugo's dad gave us some really beautiful colored glass doors with wood but they had to be stripped back sanded and repainted and there was one guy in town and <laughs> it was that same thing about him being like, yeah, I can do it. I'll do it tomorrow. Because of course he didn't want to give up the work, but his, his, so many other people were asking him in that moment. Cause he was the door guy for if they could work on 
bear houses. So he obviously accepted all the contracts in town because he's not about to let the work go by. And he told everyone like tomorrow, tomorrow, manana. He had like 10 different projects on the go. And I remember because he lives in town, like we'd drive past his house and be like, Isaiah. And he's like, manana. And we're like, you said that three times already. And he's like, no, I promise. I promise. And like, this is the bullshit, right? Like, the part of doing it yourself is like, you're just so at the mercy of what's available, who's in town, what can be done. And, but little things and, like that were really funny. Like I see you and he's like, no, I'll do it. I promise. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. We, like, we had the same with our, like all our windows and door are made of wood, deca wood. And, mm-hmm. and that guy that was, he's working super good. Like literally in, if he were in Canada, it would be, he would make so much money because he's doing incredible stuff and really, really good. But, one day out of two he was drunk and then he he wouldn't appear and we wouldn't know where he was <laughs> it was just a constant battle of like where is Marciano his name was Marciano and yeah it, it became a joke because like is he drunk somewhere there was always something happening to him he got hit by, the, by a car like nothing bad happened but always something and he's like okay when am I gonna have my windows and doors like Anyway, I have yeah. this. I had the same problem. Oh my god, damn guy that was doing the doors and windows that are also wooden took forever and then disappeared. And then like I would be like, Carlos, my brother, where are the doors? And he's like, Ah, fiate que, which means like, uh, well, uh-huh. turns out that, and then followed by an excuse, like I don't know, he's not answering. And then they would be like, Today we're gonna go hunt him down. And we might hurt him. And I was like, well, don't hurt him too much. But also, like, make sure he gets our, our door and windows. And and also, like, they were like, but I'm so annoyed because I already paid him. And I should not have paid him all this money because that's the fact. Like, it, as a contractor, or maybe in the case of Isra, managing, or, and, or managing the payment and the employees, you need to pay them so that they start the work and that they can buy the materials. But if you pay them too much, they drink it up often yeah exactly so you don't so you need uh to like manage your resources like alcoholism here is definitely a a problem eventually we got the the doors and windows but my friends were coming to visit when it was supposed to be finished and it wasn't finished and they so they arrived they're here for two weeks and I'm like guys like you can definitely come live with us but I'm just gonna tell you you guys don't have a door nor a window and (laughs) (laughs) sorry and then this guy is works in construction in in Canada, and the the window was there actually, but it had been there for come kind of like two weeks, and they had not installed it. So he's like, "Look, I'm gonna install it for you." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I mean, you're feeling confident with this? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, that's really simple. Like, the wooden frame is already done. So you just put it there. Blah blah blah." I'm like, "Okay, I trust you." And he comes back like 15 minutes later. He's like, "Ha." Huh, I, do you know why the window has been hanging there since two weeks and they haven't installed it? I'm like, no, but I guess you're going to tell me. It's too big. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so they just had like left it there and wouldn't say anything. So we found a, 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 a saw and he like saw the, the wood and the frame and he made it, he fit it in himself. My friend that is on vacation here. And I was like, oh, well, you're here. I have a few more projects for you. I have a few more windows. Yeah, he did like a surfboard rack and then he did me a compost box and like he did all these things for me. And I was like, wow, "Wow, having a handy 
friend or boyfriend is great. Maybe I should put that in my criteria as next. <laughs> Having someone handy is helpful. Yeah. I think what's been really good is talking about while it seems so idyllic and like a paradise, there are so many day-to-day challenges. It is a sacrifice to do. It does take a toll on you like emotionally, energetically. It isn't easy. And I haven't heard anyone's experience be easy. So yeah, thanks to you both for sharing your struggles a little bit. And what I would like to talk about next, and we touched on it a bit before when we before we started recording, is the fact that we are moving into a community when we move somewhere. Um, I know it makes it look like you just pick a spot on a map with a cool wave in front and then you build your palace and it's all good. But the truth is you are integrating into a community. And as you were saying, MC, we have to be mindful of that. And what are some tips you would give to people about coming into, if you are coming into a small town in a different culture, if you are wanting to build your house, what are some advice you would give to people about how to integrate and be, you know, a good neighbor? Yes. My biggest advice and the simplest one, if you think about it, is learning the local language. And this Mm -hmm. is an absolute game changer. And in fact, I would say it's a necessity for two reasons. One, because it shows respect and it shows interest in your in your community, in your neighbors. It allows you to truly connect with them through their mother tongue. And also because I feel there is so many moments I would have been screwed over Mm -hmm. in the process if I didn't speak the language. I would be on site, the builders would be speaking together. And I was so grateful and even actually proud that I was understanding what was going on. And mm-hmm. even though I learned so many new words through the process, and often I, with my builder now, we laugh it out that like he's been understanding my Chinese for three years now, four years, because to say like a nail, you know, I would be like explaining that in 17 words, like, you know, the small thing that is kind of like spiky and then you put it in the wall, what, you know, <laughs> but in Spanish and to like, you have to say, ah, oh, clavo, a nail. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is exactly what I mean. But like so many concepts that I was, or ideas I was trying to explain that I would use 17 words to get to this one term because I was learning. But um, I feel like to have witnessed some of my friends or acquaintances that don't speak the language, People can so easily turn around and do like and say things in the local language and you're not going to understand. And of course, they, there is moment where they're going to be taking advantage of your, of your, in that sense. It was great to be able to connect with my neighbors and let's say like the lady across from me that sells eggs and the, the neighbor next door that like always has like mangoes that he wants to exchange and whatever, like the the people in the community around, if you're coming there and it's hard to even communicate, I think that you're soon indefinitely like enhance the fact that you're a tourist and you're a visitor and you just landed there. So learn the language. Yeah, I totally agree. MC, is there anything you'd add to that? Well, I think it covers it pretty good, but I would say if you are going to a place whether it is to live or just to make a business out of it I think it's really important to be respectful of the community you are in because your neighbors and the community they're gonna have like it's gonna make a difference whether they're gonna have your back or not if something happened and 
yeah, I think it's, it's super important to learn the language, to speak, to get to know your neighbor, to help the community in the way you like, you need to give back in the community. This is where you are living or where you are making a business. So you want them to appreciate you and to respect you. So this is super yeah. important, I think. And there's, because I hear sometimes people think, ah, oh, I'm looking for a place to buy and they, they kind of want to shorten the process, I guess. But I would say it's important. Go live there. Go spend some months even just to get to know the country, get to know the people, practice the language, enjoy the country a bit before thinking business, let's say. Yeah, it's important to take the time to do that because you never know what can happen. And especially in Latin country, I would say people value a lot respect and giving back. I think that like the I've, I've experienced it so much here how my perception of the place, let's say in the first few weeks, months of being here versus now has changed so much. And when you come as a, as a visitor at first for two weeks and you only see the, the shiny side of it, the part of the, of the village or the town that is being showcased for the, the show that they put on for the tourists. And then yeah. with time, you start to see the behind the scene, the different energies and conflicts or connections and the dynamics of the place and this is when you start to understand like do I want to live here which area would be the right one for me and I say that because I think we all have heard it before people that comes here for two weeks and they're like wow like I want to buy and they're mm -hmm. like okay but wait <laughs> I just yeah. like MC said like come spend some time as a as a as a visitor, a longer period of time. So you get to know what happens. You get to a better sense of dynamics in the that, are, yeah. that are first invisible. With time, you get such a, a bigger understanding of things that you're like, holy cow, like I had not seen that at first. And it really starts to reveal itself with time. And mm -hmm. I think too often people will buy really quickly. And then they realize that like their neighborhood is not the, the best for them or that like, some dynamics between people they had not understood before. Like we can come here with the understanding of how it works in our own country. There's such different a flow of things that is so different. And of course we look or we get a sense of the place first based on our own understanding of the world, of how we grew up on the kind of dynamic and culture and ways of life from where we, we grew up. And then you you come here with time to realize like, wow, it really operates on different on a different baseline. Common sense is very different. Maybe in fact, you realize there's no common sense. <laughs> there is a yes. different kind of common sense. So you just, you can't rely fully on your own previous and North American understanding of the world, but then you only get it after a while. So it's like, mm -hmm. come spend some time and let the culture sink in you, get infused by the place before you settle for it so that you, yeah, so you just have a better sense of like the texture of this place. And also, and also I feel in North America, um, we are way more individualistic. Is that a word? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like every, like yeah. it's your house, it's your own property and no one's going to just enter in your house without you inviting them. I feel here people are living in a community. We all live together. Mm -hmm. It's just part of their culture. They live 
more on a, on a community side. And if you are someone that arrives without knowing anyone and just want to build your own thing and not taking the time to be known and to go see other people, well, they're not going to receive that super nicely. Know what I mean? So, yeah, mm-hmm. it is super important to go spend some time and talk to people and be nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think you girls just articulated that so well. And I like what you said, Ari, about the common sense thing, because people say, oh, it's just common sense. And I have long lost the idea that there is common sense because it's <laughs> contextual and it mm-hmm. is literally whatever your baseline is in your country, but it's different in every country. And I've had friends and family be like during the construction process, why was it done that way? There's no common sense. I'm like, well, there is for them. It's just not for you. And if you ask someone else, I think that thing, thinking that your understanding of the world is absolute and concrete is wrong. And if you're going to live in another country, you really have to be open to the fact that you might end up seeing the world completely differently. You're dealing with people with completely different ways of living, relating, being in community, all those kinds of things. So that's it. It is never, it is never, I found my little slice of paradise and I'm going to go build my castle and I'm going to be free of problems. You are part of a society no matter where you go. And yes, these cultures aren't individualistic. And that can be uncomfortable if we've been raised in places where we put our headphones down when we walk down the street and just listen to our music and don't greet anyone. It can be uncomfortable when people are over familiar or, you know, it's it's not, oh, I'll meet you on Tuesday at 10 for coffee. It's, hey, I'm at your front door. Want to have a coffee? Mm-hmm. It's this completely different way of living and relating that you do have to be open to. Otherwise, you will be in for a very isolated time because you can bet if you're away and someone breaks into your house or something happens, it will be your neighbors who are helping you. They will be the first ones to come and help you Mm. if you make a connection with them. Yeah, and it's true. Like I feel like here people are so helpful and ready to, to help. I feel like maybe you've all seen this video, but I've seen this video of a it was kind of, they were faking it, but just to observe the reaction of people. And it was in a big North American city. And there was this guy kind of lying face first on the sidewalk to see how would be people's reaction. And people would just like change sidewalk sides and avoid completely like helping this stranger. And here I've had so many moments that I found myself in, you know, little asshole or you know flat tire or something breaks down and then like the whole community people will stop and like suddenly there's like eight people helping me with my tire people are they will take the time and they will stop and they will help like people live in community here and i think that's definitely one of the things we we love the most and appreciate the most and they won't shy away from helping their neighbors but you need to be part of this as well and take the time to like stop and say hi to people and have a little chat. And I think that makes a big difference in a, in a world where we, in big cities, as you said, people have their headphones and they just walk really fast and you can go a whole day without anyone saying hi to you. Here is like the contrary. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go mm-hmm. down anywhere without having to have 25 conversations. And some days yeah. I just want to go somewhere because I'm busy. And then people are like, what's going on here Ricardo's not saying hi today and I'm like dude I was just like for one time I was like on a mission <laughs> but like it's like damn you know sometimes I feel like I need to go through back streets if I want to not engage in so many conversations because I'm short of time 
and that's the, the beauty of it, of it. People are here for each other and really trying to to help and give a hand. This is definitely one of the of the thing I love the most about life in in a small town is how people really look at each other and say hi to each other and and engage in a very organic way. And as you all said, like they'll show up on your porch and you don't have to make plans like three three weeks ahead. Oh, what are you up to now? I'm like, I was walking towards the beach. Cool, you want to have dinner? And you're like, sure. <laughs> and then one thing leads <laughs> to another. That might makes life so fun and organic and, and natural. And I really love that about life here. Mm. Thank you so much for that. It just captured so much what I feel. And I think you articulated it so well. And it's not for everyone, you know? So I think we did really well in kind of showing the upsides and the downsides. And, and if you're listening to this and thinking that buying is for you, it is really important to, to look inside and be like, and ask yourself these kinds of questions. So the next question is, what is something you would do differently next time if you were to do it all over again? Hmm. Actually, I have, uh, I did buy a Netherlands here in, in this, in another town. And it's the future, thank you. It's the future project and the perfect scenario to ask myself what I would do differently next time. And to be fair, I promised myself that this time I would not do it alone. It was a part of me is really proud that I led this project by myself as like, and I didn't wait for a partner to get started with my dreams and to get started with my, my ambitions. There was definitely a moment that I thought like, yes, of course, I'd like to build a house with a with a, a partner, but I don't have one right now and I don't know when it's going to come. So I'm not going to sit here and wait for the next like 10 years for the, the man to show up on a horse. What if he never does? <laughs> I want to, I'll start building and hopefully I get someone in, in the in But the he process. doesn't show on a horse. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, and I and and to be fair, like I had a uh, when I I bought, I was single, but then I had a, a lover for the whole construction process, but it remained my project, and he wasn't really involved besides the little moments where I would ask for his his advices and his ideas and stuff like that. But it basically because of my own desires, I chose to lead this project more by by myself, even though we were together. And it really drained me. <laughs> All that to say that when I'm going to build this new project, I told myself I would do it with someone. And might it be a lover or like a partner, let's say like a, a business partner, but I would do this as a team because as a solo venture, I thought it was a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's a lot for anyone. Like it's a, it's a lot when you're a team as well, for sure. But I feel like the next time I would let someone in, more in the process with me and I believe would be my partner with whom I were like building our our nest let's say and even to some of my other girlfriends that are uh, single owners of of land I gave them the same advice I was like to be fair I wouldn't do it alone if I was you like find someone that's gonna ideally do this process with you because it is a lot to take on by yourself like I'm so proud I did it I'm super proud but there's so many decisions to be done that at the end, I actually suffered from a decision fatigue, which is apparently a syndrome. Uh, and I think that can be diagnosed. Like 
you would ask me at that point, like, where do you want to go for dinner? And I would start crying because I was like, why are you not our question? <laughs> this is too much. They, because they asked you for so many little details at the end, like, what high do you do on your electrical plug? And I was like, I don't know, dude, like standard, standard. Is it standard to take here? Yeah, All just like common sense. Things. <laughs> just like yeah. there is no what is common sense what is standards uh, uh. you would say do you want 40 centimeters or 70 centimeters and i was like i don't know dude standard the most intelligent answer like this is too much like this specific example seems so small and silly but in the whole of all many decisions you need to be making especially that like as we all mentioned like a lot of furniture or handmade curtains were handmade, cushions were handmade, couch was handmade. Everything has been handmade because they do have the craftsmanship, but they don't have a much taste or at least this, not the same taste as we, as I had. So I, they could definitely make perfectly an image and something I would draw for them, but I couldn't buy anything like pre-made at the store. So like absolutely anything that came that was from the outside of the house or the inside of the house had been decided measured custom made a to z so it's so many decisions that for one person for one girl to handle that was too much and i kind of promised myself that i would not do it and only again. <laughs> that's yeah. a great one mc what about you what would you do differently next time actually i was listening to airy and i was thinking whole process and truly yeah being being to make such a difference because you can divide the decisions <laughs> because it's true that there's so many decisions and and at least one can decide some stuff and the other decide some stuff and just agree and i personally i felt when let's say isra was agreeing on my choice or it was just okay it gives you the confidence you know just like when you're paddling for a wave and someone is like dali dali you're like okay this is a good way anyway mm. so i felt like <laughs> know what I mean so I felt definitely um I, I can totally understand what you're saying Eri. on my side what I would have done differently truly I nothing has come quickly to me. of course there was a bunch of stuff like little details that I say oh maybe we would have done the bathroom a little like bigger or I would have done this division a little different but nothing big I would say um I had Clearly no idea, like no clue of how big this project was. And I think that's better this way. So if I would do it again, well, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> I'm happy it's done. <laughs> I'm happy it's done. I would do another thing, but never this same size. It is big and I'm happy I didn't know what I was getting myself into because I don't know if I would have done it. I feel like my partner knew a bit more what he what we were getting in ourselves into because he did something similar um at, on his father's land, so he had more idea. But for me, or I guess it was also because I had a baby also at the same time, so it was too yeah huge project. I would say not that having a pro a baby is necessarily a project, but kind of you know, you know what I mean. But truly, I wouldn't do anything differently. I'm happy of how things went, but it is so much more time and work. And I felt that because we had an architect and someone taking care of it, I wouldn't have like too much to do. This is completely wrong. I get. I guess this is something I would 
consider it's going to be time consuming. So don't think that it's just going to be a side project. It becomes a full-time job, even if you have help. I totally agree. For me, mine is more a mindset thing that I would have differently. I think for me, I romanticized it so hard and just felt like once I build these houses and I have a house on the beach, life is going to be perfect. And of course, logically, we know that's not true, but it just felt like I was getting to the apex of my life, you know, and once this is built and I'm literally here on the beach, like what other problems could there be? Isn't this the the peak, you know? And it's just so not true because yes, it came with so many challenges life happens no matter what. So even unrelated to the house, life is full of challenges. And it's true when you like acquire something, you get used to that pretty quickly. It's the same. You buy something new, like you're happy the second you get it. And then you systemize that. Okay. I have this, it's mine. And then you go back to your baseline. You know what I mean? So it's not like a few months later, I was waking up in my house and I was grateful, but it wasn't like I am set. You know what I mean? It wasn't like like life's just good now. So I just remember every night looking on Pinterest and just really fan first I was fantasizing about the land. Like we have to get this land. We have to get this land. Mm-hmm. And then we got it. And then I'm like, we have to finish these houses. We have to finish these houses. <laughs> then it was, we have to get it up on Airbnb. And then one of my friends down the road built her house and it's two stories high with a little rancho on top. And I have another friend who's building a three-story house. And my brain goes, hmm, do I need do I want a three-story house too? And I'm like, oh, okay, this is never going to stop then because I haven't reached peak happiness, you know? So it's not really like, I think that's just the mindset I would change would be like, it's going to be good for your life and good for your life experience, but it's not the thing that's going to bring you like happiness forever, you know? Yeah. And in fact, at first, it might bring you a little bit of unhappiness. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but honestly, yes. like when I finished building, I didn't even want. I didn't even want to see the house. And I know, MC, yes, let's I remember talk about you that. telling me that you finished the hotel, and you're like, if someone would want to buy it now, I would sell it. <laughs> and yeah. there is a moment where you're like, and I felt the same. I wanted to sell the house in the first year because I was like, ah, I can't anymore. Actually, the real estate agent that sold me the land, I told him like, "Can you come see and how much it would it would be valued for now?" Like, I'm considering selling it, and we went to send another project together. And anyways, he told me at some point like off the record is like, "Look, I'll tell you honestly, don't sell this house. It would be stupid to sell it right now. Keep it, put it on Airbnb, move out, do whatever you need to do. Find someone to buy half of it so you can have more liquidity. Like whatever it is that is bugging you." but don't sell it. And I was like, okay. And now I didn't sell it. And I'm like, ha ha, thank God I didn't sell it. That would have been so silly. But in this moment, I was so over it. And that's the thing. Like I remember in the building process thinking, I cannot wait to just sit on my couch, excel and be like, oh, I'm finally home in my house. Oh my God. Well, that feeling just never came. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because as soon as it's finished and you sit on the couch now you're seeing that like the garden needs so much attention because there's no garden yet and it's so dry and then you see like another thing that needs to be changed and then it starts to you know have life in it so it starts to crack a little bit and you're like oh my god it's cracking and then <laughs> so many things after that that there is not a moment that you're like ah oh, 
So that's done. Cool. We're never, done. never, never arrives. It's, it's, it's a, an absolute illusion. It's so mm -hmm. sad. And like, I don't want to break anyone's dream thinking because you live for that but, illusion. But when you get, there's no there. You never get there. Nope. <laughs> nope. But it's like this and everything I feel in yeah, life. It's true. Like truly, it's not just uh, having a house in Latin America or by the beach. I feel it's like any property. And also I can relate with my kids. I'm I was constantly on, oh, when is going to be one year old? It's like I'm going to be done with that phase. But there's always something else happening. So I, I guess it's just something in life that we constantly feel like when we're going to reach this, we're going to sit and enjoy our warm coffee. But truly, you never enjoy that warm coffee. <laughs> You keep on going. Oh, you and do, but regardless. Yeah, exactly. Do, like, yeah. I, I think I think you need to enjoy it through the process. So mm -hmm. I would say yeah. enjoy the process of it. It's just like learning how to surf. Like whatever goes in life, you gotta enjoy the process because it's true. It's it's an illusion of thinking that will feel a certain way, and then you reach like the finish line, and you think you're gonna feel a certain way, and you don't because there is another finish line that is a little further. So there's always going to be something, but this is, I guess, in general, in life with everything, <laughs> business-wise, like family-wise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah but like, definitely. But like a house is definitely like a, yeah. an ongoing project, you know, because there's, once it's like the big part is finished, there's more like details you want to add. Mm -hmm. and you don't, you don't like nail the decoration in one week. It takes time. <laughs> I remember every when pieces. Yeah, I remember you when you said when when you you feel like you're almost done, you're not at all, <laughs> and it's true because there's all those little corner and you need to like put some life into it. You cannot just leave your place, you know, all white. So and those little decorations take some time, and the little table here and the little cushion there, the little shelf there, all those details do take some time and brain juice. And it's true, it's just never ending, but for me, I would say, yeah, enjoy the whole process. Enjoy the in-between and the it's not completely finished because it's never going to be completely finished and there's always going to be something to fix, but to enjoy the process, to keep on and not putting like too much pressure, time pressure on. It needs to be done by this because it's not necessarily going to Plus happen. three months. Plus, Plus three months. months. Plus be aware three that. Months. Uh huh, and be aware that there's that finish line is always gonna go further because there's always gonna be something you can <laughs> add, and you know. Yeah, totally. Thank you, guys. You've just totally. I couldn't have said it any better. I feel it. I totally <laughs> have been there and am there. So thank you. Just before the we good wrap news it up, is that is... now we can we can all kind of laugh about it. So oh my God. Yeah. Laughter is coming. I promise. <laughs> I know it doesn't feel like it, but <laughs> laugh so you don't cry. For me, a thing that was important was the grief um, of freedom. I felt that having a place now to take care, I, was, I wouldn't be as free as I would be because I would need to take care of a property. So there was something for me with that. There was happiness mm -hmm. having a place of my own, but there was also that kind of stress of, okay, now I need to take care of a place. There's something that I own. For the first time in my life yeah but I, I, that's, I think that like if i can say that it's because in your case in both of you girls case it also happens at the same time of having a child yeah and i thought that it would anchor me down way more than it actually does for me it did the contrary effect i felt that i would be so 
much more limited. And in fact, it gave me freedom in other ways because, you know, I rented on Airbnb mainly all the time now and it brought me one of the best income I can ask for. And it turns out to be less energy and management that I had foreseen. And I don't feel stuck here and I don't feel obligated to really take, I found really good people to help me take care of the place. And in fact, it brought me more financial freedom. That's the part I would do again. Like mm-hmm. have more properties that I can Airbnb because it's really good money back and very little time consumption in my case. So it's it's contextual also uh-huh, it's that true. you had two big life changes of having a place and having a child at the same time. Yeah. Which is like... And yeah. also because the fact that it's not completely finished, that I can leave and not think about that it, it is finished but not completely completely especially our place so it's true it's true what you're saying and the baby also in the project so i can i guess it overlapped a little bit <laughs> Both mm-hmm. it, it was a lot <laughs> it was a lot it sure was <laughs> before we wrap this up guys what is is there any last things you want to say anything you think we've missed that you think are important to say anything that's come up for you during the during the interview chase your dreams people buy that house (laughs) chase your dreams (laughs) all right well thank you for joining me today ladies it's been such a good chat and it's also been a bit of a a release I think to laugh about it kind of talk about the experience a little bit because yeah it's uh it's kind of like motherhood you don't really know it until you're in it and then Mm -hmm. it's like holy shit so thank you for sharing your experiences so honestly and I think I think the listeners will get a lot out of this Yes, Yay. I hope. I hope so because we get a lot of questions about it. So I hope it did give you all some insights and some practical advices as well as more emotional advices, if we can say so. So you have a, a clear idea of like what you're getting yourself into and the fact that it is really possible and it might feel like a very far away dream uh, when you're sitting, you know, in your apartment in the city, maybe, but know that it is actually possible and just arm yourself with a lot of patience (laughs) perfect thanks guys thank you so much this podcast was brought to you by the salty club hosted by me caitlin creeper and sound and editing by matthias gomes